Well, good morning. So good to see you all here this morning. I'm Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad that you have chosen to join us today, whether you're here in the sanctuary or joining us from online. And uh, I just have a question for you today as we kick things off. No, my question isn't who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight. No, my question is not who remembered that Valentine's Day is tomorrow. It's tomorrow. My question for you today is this. How many of you like telling stories? Anybody like telling stories out there? All right, we got some hands. Okay, all right. Now I have a slightly different question. How many of you are actually good at telling stories? Fewer hands. And I see some nudges too. So uh, the truth is that some of us are good at telling stories. Some of us are not as good at telling stories. And some of us who thought we were good at telling stories aren't as good as we thought we were. Personally, I, uh, I love telling stories, and uh, you know, as any storyteller does, they've got their own way of telling stories that introduces their own style or flair, makes it their own. I love telling stories from my experiences growing up, and time with family and friends, and my time in college, and just about anything else. Uh, the students, I know you guys have heard a lot of my stories over the years if you've been around me, and uh, probably, you know, one thing that I, I've noticed about my stories is I can maybe have a tendency to, to drag them out a little bit or, you know, take a little bit too long to get to the chase. Really, I'm just trying to give you the whole picture and give you all the details so it enhances the story, helps you feel like you're a part of it. Well, perhaps probably my biggest flaw when it comes to storytelling is that I don't always remember if I've told a particular story and if I have who I've told it to. So uh, my wife, Elsie, bless her heart, has heard many of my stories multiple times. And not because I'm telling it to somebody else and she just happens to be a bystander, but because I'm trying to excitedly tell her this story for the third time or the fourth time or the tenth time thinking she's never heard it before. And she, you know, just patiently listens and waits. And then when I'm all done, tells me that she's already heard it before. And uh, some of you maybe can relate to that. That's always a fun experience. Well, whether you consider yourself a good storyteller or not, my hope for today is to help all of you, all of us become better storytellers. And let me just say this. You might say, yeah, yeah, I didn't raise my hand at all today. I am not a good storyteller. I'm not artistic. I'm not creative. Whatever it is, guess what? That's okay. Because I'm not either. We're in this together. And so my hope for us as we walk through our time together this morning is to help us all become better storytellers. So with that being said, I do want to start off this morning by telling a story. I want to tell you a story about a little boy who grew up in a small town. As long as he could remember, his parents took him to church. He went to a Christian school for a long time. And as an elementary age student, he chose to ask Jesus into his heart and begin a relationship with him. Now, he grew up going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school. He was that annoyingly smart kid who knew all the answers. He got involved with youth group as he got older and, and served all around the church, got involved wherever he could. Uh, later on, as he got a little bit older, he transitioned from uh, a Christian school to being in a public school. And because of that spiritual foundation that he had, he was able to stand firm in that new environment, but it was not without its trials and temptations. Now, looking back on that time, he probably one of his biggest regrets was that he utterly failed to be bold in speaking about his faith to his peers. 
Looking back, he wished he would have done more. And, you know, sure, people knew that he was a Christian, but he, he could have said more. He could have done more to speak out about his faith. He was full of a great deal of selfishness and pride, things that weren't really called out in him until he got to college. And he found himself at a large university where he somehow was able to be surrounded with a solid community of really good godly people who were pursuing a relationship with God like he was. And with that good community came good accountability, came good opportunity for maturation. And he was able to surrender some of that selfishness, some of that pride to give up his own plans for his life and trust what God had in store for him. To grow in humility, at least maybe a little bit. God radically changed his own plans for his life and eventually led him into ministry. Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, the boy in that story is me. This is my story. So why do I take the time to share that with you this morning? Well, for one thing, as one of your pastors, hopefully now you know me a little bit better. But really, I share this story with you because you each have a story and your story is worth telling. Every single one of us has a story worth telling. And you know what the best part about your story is? It's special. It's unique. It's one of a kind because your story is your story. It's you. Nobody else has that same story. Now, over the years, the art of storytelling has dwindled in importance. You know, long ago, before the days of the internet and the printing press, stories were basically passed down orally from generation to generation. You know, grandparents telling parents and parents telling children, children their children, and on down the line. And so it was almost like a giant game of telephone, except it wasn't. Because that was the primary way of passing details and stories and traditions on, the way in which they told those stories, extra careful attention was paid to communicating all the accurate details. And honestly, that's something that we've lost. We don't always communicate stories and traditions as well because we have internet and books to do it for us. We don't need to worry about having all of the details. Well, even now today, there are many cultures around the world that are still storytelling cultures. They pass down those traditions, those stories from one generation to the next. I remember having a friend a number of years ago who worked for a ministry called Story Runners. And basically their whole goal was to share the gospel, to take the stories of scripture and make them accessible for people around the world so they could tell those stories in their native languages and help to meet them where they were. It was a really, really, a really, really cool thing. Now, I'm not up here to say that we all need to spread all around the world telling stories of scripture. And I'm also not saying that we shouldn't. It's a very, very important thing that God has called us to. But today I do wanna pose the question, how do we tell stories to those around us that meet them where they are, that are accessible to what they're walking through in life. And I'm not just talking about any stories this morning, but about Jesus' stories, about stories of how Jesus has rescued and changed you of what God has done in your life. So there are three parts to every Jesus story. Three parts, a before, a how, and a since. A before, a how, and a since. So who was I before Jesus? What was I like? How did I come to know Jesus and place my faith in him? Who have I been since? How has my life changed 
or looked different? What fruit has been born in my life? Now, this morning, we're going to take a look at one particular individual in Scripture. Uh, This is going to be in Acts chapter 25, if you have your Bibles or devices and want to turn with me there. It'll also be up on the screen as well. Uh, Going to be a bit of reading here this morning, so bear with me. But this is a story about the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was uh, a follower of Jesus. And uh, at this point in time, he is imprisoned for preaching about Jesus. They don't like that, so they put him in prison. And over the course of time, he finds himself in front of a number of different high-ranking, very powerful individuals, from the Roman governor Felix to when he's replaced by Festus, Paul speaks to Festus, and he speaks to King Herod Agrippa, who's a Judean leader, and then eventually he ends up appealing to Caesar Nero himself. Now, we're going to highlight this moment here in Acts chapter 25, where Paul is speaking to Agrippa and to Festus. He has this opportunity to share his story before several of the most powerful people in that whole region of the world. And he takes the time to boldly step out in faith and share his story. Uh, So we're going to start in Acts chapter 25, verse 23. And I apologize, this is going to be a lot of reading, so bear with me. Uh, But there's just so much good stuff here. And so as we're reading through this, be looking for some of these elements of Paul's story. All right, Acts 25, 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So I'm going to pause here for just a second. This is setting the stage for our story. We have Festus bringing Agrippa in and saying, hey, I cannot figure this Paul guy out. There's an uproar. Everybody wants him dead. They want him in prison. I don't know that that's really deserving, but I don't know what the deal is with this guy. You know more about Jewish customs. Let's see what you have to think. So they bring Paul in. Chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I, take, as I make my defense against the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. This is Paul's before. This is who Paul is before Jesus. And even though he considers himself a very religious guy and follows all the rules, not the best guy. He was persecuting Christians, giving his stamp of approval on killing Christians. He was doing what he thought was right, which clearly was not. And that idea of hope that he talked about as the Jews were waiting for the promised Messiah, the Jews are looking, they're longing for hope. File that away because we're going to see that pop back in in a little bit. Verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and to turn them from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is Paul's how, how he comes to know Jesus. Now, if you want to read more about this, this week I encourage you to flip back a few pages and check out Acts chapter 9. That tells the whole story, all the details of Paul's conversion experience. I'm guessing most of us probably haven't been walking on a desert road uh, and having a bright light shining down and being blinded and having Jesus speak to us from heaven. Um, anybody, maybe? Probably not. But that doesn't make anybody else's transformation any less real or any less extreme. This is an amazing experience that Paul has of how he comes to know Jesus. Verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer. And as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is just a glimpse of who Paul has been since meeting Jesus. And if you have read any part of the New Testament, so many of the letters in the New Testament are letters that Paul wrote to churches, to individuals. When you see what he's talking about, when you read what he's writing, that's coming from a changed man. He is transformed, no longer persecuting Christians, but standing as the foremost apostle to make Jesus known. That is a powerful transformation. But the story doesn't end there. We're going to read the last couple of verses here. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. 
Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room and while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, why did I read that last section? Because after Paul shares his story, he gives an opportunity for a response. Paul shares his story. He boldly takes that step of faith and he challenges his audience. He challenges those that he shares with. What do you think about this? especially Agrippa. Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He challenges them on that. I love that. He gives an opportunity for response. It's not up to us. It's not our job to persuade people, but we can in faith tell of what God has done and give them an opportunity to respond, to share our story and then to see what they think about it. And their response might not always be immediate. It might not always be positive. Paul certainly didn't get a positive response here. But who knows on down the road the response that could take place, the seeds that were planted. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our story? Well, I want to give you a couple of thoughts this morning regarding your story. And first, I want to start with a question. Where are you at? I'm not talking about Marshall or Family Bible Church or your job or anything like that. Where are you at in your story, in your journey? I love what the psalmist writes, Psalm 139, verse 16. This is what he says. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want you all to know this morning that your stories were written long, long ago. God wrote your story long ago. He has it all written. And yet, your story is still unfolding before you. So wherever you're at in this journey, as you are continuing on in this, know that God has great things in store for you and know that it's okay to not know where you're at. If you're still figuring out who you are, what's important to you, where faith fits in, where are you at in this journey? Maybe you find yourself in the before. You haven't yet made a decision to follow Jesus and trust him in a relationship with him. Maybe you're in the midst of your how. You are feeling him draw you to himself and are close to putting your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're in the sense. You've chosen to trust Jesus either recently or a long time ago, and it's an opportunity for growth, for moving forward, for becoming more like Jesus and bearing fruit in your life. Because it's a continual process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. Knowing that we haven't reached the end, there's always room to grow. Something that our church believes is that Growing in a relationship with God is both a crisis and progressive experience. And basically what that means is that there's a moment I choose to, to follow after Jesus, to make a decision, to trust him, but it also takes time to continue to grow, to progress, to become more like him. 
It's an ongoing reality. And so we're all still in the midst of our story. But where are you at on your journey? Second, own it. Own it. Whatever your story is, wherever you're at on your journey, own it. Maybe you grew up in the church, and like me, it's basically all you've ever known. Maybe you feel like your story isn't good. It's lame or boring or uninteresting. Maybe on the flip side of that, you feel like, man, my story is is just so many bad details. I was a bad person. There's so much shame and guilt involved with that. I don't want to tell people about that. Or somewhere in between, regardless of where you are at and how you feel about your story, know that the truth is that if you've placed your faith in Jesus and you've begun a relationship with him, then your story is an amazing story because you've gone from death to life, from darkness to light. Just like Paul said there in his conversation with them, your eternity has been forever changed and no one can dispute your story of what God has done in you, what God has done for you in your life. Now, they may not believe it. They may not feel like they can relate to it. But if you're telling your story in truth and in faith, then who are they to say anything against it? As we all continue to learn and grow, recognize that if God has done something amazing in your life, that is meant to be shared. Tell others about that. You're an eyewitness of what Jesus has done in you and for you. So share that with others. And know that there's no shame in your story because it's a story of transformation in your life. Third thought I want you to consider this morning about your story. Be ready. Be ready. I love how the Apostle Peter writes this, 1 Peter 3.15. He says, in your hearts, set apart or revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, we live in a world that is lacking hope. That hopelessness has only spread in the past few years. And I pointed this out earlier in Paul's story. I love how he highlights that idea of hope. That Jesus, the promised Messiah, was supposed to bring hope. He did bring hope. The Jews were still looking. They were still waiting for that. Jesus has brought us hope. So if you have hope in your life, why? Why do you have hope? If somebody were to ask you today, what reason you have for that? Are you ready to give them an answer? What would you tell them? Now, to some people, this means having your elevator pitch ready in case you have the opportunity to make your case to someone. And while there may be some truth or wisdom in that and and being prepared, it's so much more because this isn't about trying to convince someone that you're the right person for a job. It is so much more than that. We are not meant to try to be persuasive or to argue with someone. That's not what our job is. Rather, there's a time and a place for that, but our moment, our opportunity that God lays before us is a chance to speak the truth, to share our story. Yes, there's wisdom in being ready and understanding what God has done in your life, having some thoughts prepared. Be ready to share those. But don't be a robot droning on and on through a story that you've perfectly memorized because people aren't going to connect with that. Speak from the heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And trust that he's going to use you. Sometimes when we tell stories, we fumble through them. And that is okay. That's genuine. There's nothing wrong with that. When God gives you that open door to share, 
shared boldly in faith and confidence is you look to the one who has transformed you and give him all the credit that he's due. Now, I have found over the years that there are a few better ways of getting to know someone than by listening to their story. And I remember an experience I had a summer I spent in college in New Jersey with about 100 other college students as we all worked and pursued God together. One of the first nights there, a bunch of strangers I didn't know, I found myself in a room with about 10 other students, everybody taking about 15 to 45 minutes to share their life story. And these are people I didn't know before. And yet, in those couple of hours of time spent together, it was amazing how we got to know each other on such a deeper level really, really quick. Yes, it pulled people out of their comfort zone, but that step of faith brought about such amazing growth. So it isn't always an easy place to start, but the reality is it feels so good to share, to know and to be known and to have that opportunity. And we got to start somewhere when it comes to sharing our story. So the last few weeks, we've been walking through this rhythms series. Rhythms of my walk with God. Things like prayer, daily devotion, sacrificing. Today, sharing my story. How do I get into the rhythm of telling my story as a regular part of my walk with God? This is a little bit different, but what does that look like? Well, I'm gonna give you a few steps, if you will, this morning. Don't think of this as a checklist or anything, but hopefully a helpful guide. And here's where it starts. Number one, pray. This is something that Chris has said basically every week for the past month of this series. Pray, pray, pray. Talk to God. Thank him. Worship him for what he's done in your life. And thank and worship him for what he's going to do in your life as he continues to grow and sanctify you. Ask him to give you opportunities to share and the boldness to walk through those open doors. Number two, listen. Listen. Now, I know I'm up here talking about telling your story, and it's hard to tell your story by listening because in order to tell your story, you got to be talking, right? Wrong. Listen first. Ask questions. Who is this person? Where are they at emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Maybe there's a part of your story that relates to something that they're walking through or somewhere that they're at in life. Can God use you to speak to those things in their lives? Absolutely. But you won't know those things without listening first. Sometimes you have to to cater your story depending on the situation or the person or the need. Many times our stories of faith include a felt need, something that we are desperately feeling or searching for and ultimately only find in Jesus. Maybe a felt need in your story relates to something this person is walking through and you'd never know without listening and getting to know them first. Number three, and this goes with listening, read the audience. One person, a group of people, whoever you have before you, whoever you're sharing your story with. Do I have 30 seconds to share my story? All right, give them the the big points, the quick little things and move on. Make it short and sweet. Do I have more time? Maybe I share with them for five minutes. Maybe they're asking tons of questions and they're super locked in, they're engaged. All right, I'm gonna share more of those details with them. Just like when we share any story, sometimes people want to hear the whole big story with all the details, and sometimes they just want the short and sweet version. So do our best in in the power of the Holy Spirit to just trust and and to read where people are at and say, okay, they're ready for the whole long story, or you know what? I just want to give them the big points. But wherever they're at, recognize that these are real people with real lives, and we don't want to force anything on them. We want to share from the heart of what God has done for us. 
So read the situation, the people that you're around. Number four, be genuine. Be genuine as you share. It's important that you know your story. After all, it's your story and you're the one who's lived it. So hopefully you know it pretty well. But again, don't robotically drone through it. Speak from the heart. Don't exaggerate it. Don't try to spice it up or make your story sound cool. Your story is awesome, whatever your story is. People want genuine and authentic. Because if you can't be that as you share with them, why would they want anything to do with the Jesus that you talk about? They wouldn't. People know who you are and they know it's important to you because you talk about it, you show it with your life, you live it out. Are you living Jesus out? Are you telling of what he's done in your life? Number five, share your story. Now notice we've taken all the way till number five to get to actually sharing our story. These first four steps in here are so crucial because sometimes what we can have the tendency to do as we just barge into a conversation and blah, just put it all out there, right? But if we haven't taken the time to talk to God about it, we haven't taken the time to get to know this person or these people a little bit to, to figure out where they're at, it's not necessarily going to be as effective. God can absolutely still use this, but when we can take the time to really engage and grow in relationship with people, it's just a lot more effective. And so share your story, the before, the how, the since, what God has done in your life. And you may find it helpful to put together some thoughts of some of those most important moments or characteristics that you want to be sure to highlight in your story. Awesome. Do that. Share those things. But most importantly, remember that it's not about you. And I know it's your story, right? But it's not about you. It's about Jesus and what he's done in you. Focus on him and give him the glory for how he's transformed you. Finally, number six, allow space for a response. And this is something that we saw Paul model really well. When I put my story out there, I want to challenge people. I want to allow space for people to respond. It might not always be immediate. It might not always be positive. But I want to ask, is there anything that didn't make sense? Anything they're wondering about? Maybe you give them an opportunity to share their life story if they haven't already. What do they think about all this? What do they think about this Jesus guy? Do they believe what's happened in your life? Are they seeing the fruit of that transformation? Something to think about, something to challenge them with. And now it takes time, it takes practice to develop this rhythm as we try again and again and again to share our story. It can be pretty scary, pretty intimidating. I know I was talking to somebody this morning after first service who was feeling that way. It's a scary thing. Maybe it's a good first step to just share your story with other followers of Jesus. They're coming from a similar place. They understand maybe what you're going through. And I know if you're in a rooted group, this is something that your groups have been doing over the course of the weeks, is sharing your story. But it's not meant to stay there. We are meant to share these stories with those who don't know Jesus, to tell of what God has done in our lives. And so putting this rhythm into practice this week, who is one person in your life who needs to hear your story? What's standing in the way of you taking that step of faith? Last fall, we went through a whole series where we talked about that. We challenged each of you to have one person who doesn't know Jesus, who you are intentionally engaging with, spending time with, getting to know better, inviting conversation with, praying for them. There are 45 names on that wall in the lobby. I, I counted this week. And there are a lot more than 45 people in here right now. And so I would encourage you, if you have not put a name up there yet, it's not too late. It's still there. There are names out there of people who are being pursued, people who are being prayed for. And we would love to 
pray for that person with you and to trust God for that person as well. Maybe you do have somebody that you've been pursuing. Maybe you've lost some steam or got busy or just have kind of lost focus and haven't been as intentional with that person. How can you take a step of faith to engage them this week? Because you never know when there might be an element of your story that relates to what they're walking through and that they could be drawn towards God as a result of that. There's a a saying I heard a lot during my time in college. Uh, I was very involved with a campus ministry called Crew, and I don't know who first said this. I don't know who to attribute this to, but I have thought about this over and over and over again over the years. So here's this this quote I want to share with you this morning. Successful evangelism is taking a step of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to share Jesus, to share the gospel with someone, and leaving the results up to God. Takes the pressure off us, It's not as much about us. We just take the step of faith and leave the results up to God. Now, I want to slightly tweak this this morning for the purposes of what we're talking about, but I don't think it really changes the meaning very much. Successful storytelling is taking a step of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to share your story with someone and leaving the results up to God. Why is that similar? Because you telling the story of Jesus is telling your story. You taking that step of faith and leaving the results up to God, he loves when we do that. It's not up to you to force Jesus on anyone. Whether or not we choose to follow Jesus is a personal decision that each of us has to make. That's before each of us. But we can take that step of faith to give people the opportunity to come to know him. And so the pressure's off. All I gotta do is share by faith, take that step of faith, and I leave the results up to God, and whatever God does with that, God gets the glory for that. It's awesome. Now, I want to finish this morning by telling you a story. A story about a little boy who grew up in a small town. For as long as he could remember, his parents took him to church. He had a relationship with the father from a very young age. He was basically the perfect child. And he also was that annoyingly smart kid that that knew all the answers. And yet he wasn't prideful about it. In his humility, he sought to care for others and teach them. He learned and grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew in his favor with God and with other people. As he got older, he realized that he really enjoyed teaching. and He became a teacher. He taught on many things, but he especially loved teaching about God and teaching about his word. But the thing is, he didn't just talk about it. He lived it out. He walked the walk. He set good, godly examples as a really godly man for the people around him of what it looks like to grow in a personal relationship with God. He did so many amazing things as he taught and cared, and his love and care for people were so great that Eventually, it led him to his death. You see, his willingness to sacrifice for others, to lay himself down so that they might succeed, it actually got him to a point where he was falsely accused of something that he didn't do. And yet, he just sat there and took it. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and yet was silent. He died the most gruesome of deaths, but did nothing to deserve it. But the most miraculous thing happened. Somehow, some way, he resurrected from the grave. He conquered sin and death. This is, of course, the story of Jesus. 
Now, you may have heard a couple of similarities between that story and the one I told earlier. But let me be clear, I am not Jesus and I don't come close because Jesus is what I am not. Jesus did what I could not. Jesus died on that cross when I deserved it and he didn't. Why? Because he loves me. Because I'm created in the image of God. Because he desires a personal relationship with me. And even though my sin gets in the way of that, though my pride and my selfishness take over, he has become the humility and the selflessness in me. Not because of anything that I've done, not because of anything that I deserve, but because of who he is and what he's done for me. This story, the Jesus story, it's my story now too. Again, it's not because of anything that I've done because I didn't do those things, Jesus did. But now as a believer in him, as a follower and disciple of his, his story becomes my own. I'm no longer held captive by sin, bound up in that deserving of death and going to spend eternity separated from my creator. Rather, I am an adopted son of God, viewed as perfect and righteous in his eyes because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus placed on me. This is my story. What will your story be? Now, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and begun a relationship with him, if you're still in that before, I wanna give you an opportunity to see your life transformed today. I wanna give you an opportunity to pray, to begin a relationship with him. And if that's something, maybe you've made that decision in the past and you've kind of walked away from that, maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. I invite you to, to join me as well. In this. So I'm going to pray. And if that's you, that's where you're at today. I just encourage you to pray with me wherever you're at today. So let's pray. God, you are so, so good. So loving, so faithful. Father, truly deserving of all the worship, all the honor, all the glory that we can bring and so much more. Lord, you came to us when we were at our darkest furthest point from you, deserving of death, of being separated from you. And yet, you met us where we were. You came down to us. The perfect son of God, living the perfect sinless life that we were meant to live. Father, we thank you for that. We worship you for that. Jesus, you are so good, so awesome, and so worthy. So Lord, if there's anybody here today who desires to take that step of faith to put their trust in you, or they can just pray this with me here today. God, I, I believe that you love me. I believe that you created me for relationship with you, that you desire a relationship with me. Lord, I believe that my sin has gotten in the way of that. And I confess my sins to you now. I believe that you died on the cross for those sins, that you lived the perfect life that I could not live, took my place on that cross so that I could spend eternity with you. I confess those, I believe in your death and resurrection. And I take that step of faith towards you today, trusting that you are going to come dwell in me, that your spirit is gonna live in me and that I am gonna grow to become more and more like you, like I was created to be. 
Father, we love you so much. Thank you for the transformation that you have done in my life, that you have done in the lives of so many others here. Father, you are amazing. We worship you for that today. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as we have been a number of times in the past few months, I do want to open up an opportunity. Last week, we saw two more bulbs get turned here on this tree, which was amazing. And if there's anybody here today, whether today or sometime recently, you have chosen to follow Jesus and place your trust in him for the first time, or maybe rededicate your life to him, I want to give you an opportunity to come up and to turn a bulb so we can celebrate with you. You don't have to say anything. Is there anybody who wants to come up and and boldly proclaim that today, to turn a bulb and we can celebrate with you? Anybody today? All right, well, I'm so glad that you're here, that you've chosen to join us today. I just want to pray one final prayer over all of you, and then Chris is going to come up and share a few final thoughts. This is a prayer that uh, Paul actually asks the Ephesian church to pray for him, uh, right at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. And so I think this is fitting with our conversation today. I want to pray this over all of us today. So bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much that we all have the opportunity to tell the story of what you've done in us and through us. Lord, it's all about you. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for these people. Pray that whenever we open our mouths, words would be given to us so that we would fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel of which we are ambassadors. Father, I pray that we would declare it fearlessly as we should. Give us that strength, that faith to step out in boldness. God, you're so good. We thank you for who you are. In your name we pray, amen.